April 19th to 25th is National Victims of Crime Awareness Week in Canada. It's important for society to focus on the victims of crime, and it's the justice system's job to punish perpetrators of criminal acts. But how can we help an offender understand the harm they have done to victims when the justice system is not set up to have victim and offender meet face to face? Mennonites have been at the forefront of restorative justice in North America. Restorative justice focuses on the rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community. Restorative justice has been shown to be extremely effective in reducing the number of repeat offenders. The principles of restorative justice are also finding a home in South Korea. Hi, my name is Dan Dick, the host of Church Matters. Last fall, Jay Young Lee joined me in the studio for a conversation on restorative justice. Jay is a South Korean Mennonite who has trained in restorative justice and now directs the Northeast Asia Regional Peacebuilding Institute. Jay attends Grace and Peace Mennonite Church in Seoul. He has also been involved in the Korea Anabaptist Center, its English language school, Conexus, and now leads both the Korea Peacebuilding Institute and the Northeast Asian Regional Peacebuilding Institute. I first became aware of Jay's work through Mennonite Church Canada's ministry in South Korea, which began in 1996. Welcome to the Church Matter studio, Jay. Thank you. It's good to be back. Jay, your interest in nonviolent peacebuilding and restorative justice began at Canadian Mennonite Bible College, which has now become CMU, or Canadian Mennonite University, here in Winnipeg. Tell me more about that. Um, it was uh, five months after my military service. I just got out of military service. And I just want to explore the world. Uh, again, I didn't really know much about what school I'm heading into. I just uh, want to know. And this is uh, one place that my father recommends. So I said, okay. And I just came. That was a big challenge for me, the language, culture, uh, food, everything, but also Mennonites in even Canada, North America. It's another world. And where did life take you after Winnipeg? I was searching schools to study more about it, and then I found a, a program called Conflict Transformation at Eastern Mennonite University, Virginia, USA. My faculty advisor was Howard Zare, so-called uh, the father of restorative justice. So I really got into the, uh, the restorative justice uh, concept and practice. Um, so after finishing the school, I went back to Korea and uh, started working for Korea Anabaptist Center as a peace program coordinator and conducting uh, restorative justice workshops for school teachers, some court staff, and all those people for now, what, 14, 15 years. Peace program is now independent from 2011, and then we made a new entity organization called the Korea Peace Building Institute, and that's where I'm charged for. And we have also another program called the Northeast Asia Regional Peace Building Institute, uh, which I'm also director there. Uh, so I'm doing these two parts. One is uh, restorative justice, peace uh, building training for Korean society. Uh, 
but also for the region. So, Jay, how is restorative justice work being received in South Korean society now? Well, at the beginning, it was not very popular. Um, yeah, there, there are many challenges um, because peace building is uh, not um, not seen as a, a practical approach or too idealistic. So not many people actually came to the workshop until the court, the family court in the Seoul uh, had a, the a joint project with us for dealing the juvenile cases because they uh, had a, this a long a policy on like a, a war against the crime. So there's always the harsh punishment. And there's also always uh, voices that we should fight against these uh, bad guys. But then the reality is these bad guys are not declining, but there are more bad guys are produced. Or these juveniles who went through the, the, military, uh, the prison, they later become the um, criminals of the uh, serious cases. So they heard about restorative justice from different magazines and news, and they approached us saying that, I heard that you had this training, and uh, why don't we have a joint project for this, uh, some youth uh, crimes? So we started having cases from court, police, um, um, some youth uh, crime prevention centers. Then people start to seeing the value of this balancing between uh, punishing offenders but also recognizing harms of the victims and how with these offenders to see the impacts of their behaviors and give them opportunity to make it right. And that changes uh, a relationship and also the, uh, the re-crime rates is going down for those people who went through that program, victim offender uh, dialogue. So the courts pick it up this and said, well, it's, it's a good, it's good for youth because they need to have a time for change. So that happens in 2006, seven, eight, and then the, finally the law passed in 2010. And then since then our program become known to the society and now we are kind of shifting from the legal system to the community level through the schools. And this year, 2014, the, the province that we are in, the provincial department of education accepted the restorative approach as the official approach for uh, discipline the, the students in the school. You must have a lot of stories by now of offenders who have experienced restorative justice. Is there one you'd like to share with our listeners? I would say it's, it's more attempt to uh, see the dramatic change among offenders. That's, that's a lot of stories that we like to hear, but uh, I want to share one story that victim actually changed. Uh, this uh, particular teenager who got uh, victimized by his peers, and particularly one 
man, one one uh, friend who always um, verbally, physically, sexually abused. And he was victimized for about 10 months. And uh, it became really like life routine for these two guys. Until this victim uh, told his friend that he is actually having little difficulties with this guy. And he uh, heard a little bit of the story and he was really upset and mad. So he took him to the police station, but the victim himself, he didn't really want to go because he knew that the word is unknown, this uh, perpetrator will crack him down. So he was great fear, but he just dragged him to the police station and reported. So it was known to the school and society. So the, the youth who were in charge for this crime, he got five different uh, charges. When I met both, uh, I was introduced by the court, so I met both, and I talked to the victim, and I said, that, how you handle you know, this all um, sufferings and pains? He was thinking only two things. One is, tonight I'm going to kill him. The other one is, I should kill myself. Those are only two thoughts he said he had. But this just continuing, and I think it's like a domestic violence when there is a oppressor and oppressed situation become really strong, that it just stay like that. So I told him, can you share what you just told me to that guy and his family? I tried to arrange the meeting between you. I said, no, no way, I don't want to see him. I said, but if you don't share, how it's gonna solve your problem? How it's gonna get out of the fear that you had uh, from him? He's still haunting him. And I said, if you cannot say, you can write down in the letter and you can just come and I can read it. But your presence will be really important. I was thinking a little, little bit more and more and I asked him who should be there to support you. So he told me a couple of people's names including school teacher, including the counselor the police introduced. So I said, okay, I'll contact them and I'll bring them all. Can you come? I didn't want to force him, but I knew from my experience that the victims still under trauma and victimization, um, no matter how, how uh, harsh punishment go to the offenders, his healing is separating. He's still living the fear. I want him to get out of there. So I encouraged him and he was thinking a little bit and he said, okay, if you can help me, I'll go sit there. So the meeting, so-called victim-offender dialogue, the face-to-face, -face, it took place. And he started reading his letter. It was uh, three, four pages that how he victimized, how he felt what kind of thoughts going through his mind and what he wanted and all that. After he finished that reading, the whole group was literally crying together because they felt the pain that uh, he went through.
an offender and his family felt great shame. They tried to defend themselves in the court system, but at the moment, everything was break down. Because there's no excuse about like, how to justify what they did. In fact, the father of the offender, he, came, he stood up and he walked to, to the to a teenager who victimized, and he kneeled down right next to him and said, if possible, I want to take that painful memories from your memory system. I feel really sorry and shame that it's, it's my fault because it's my son did that wrong to you. So it was just uh, that moment that he, he suddenly become uh, his own because the empowerment by just everything came out and there was nothing wrong you did. The thing that went wrong was done by others. So after the time, you know, there's a, the, the agreements of the compensation and all that, but that's the secondary to me. He, his uh, life uh, style and uh, his family, it dramatically changed. So he, I could see him after that couple months, and he become a really owner of his life. Jay, thanks so much for joining me and for sharing these stories with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Church Matters today. I welcome you back again in just about four weeks for another episode. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. As always, we welcome your feedback to this program, and I love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. Wrap up your email in some shiny paper and dash it off to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We're also happy to get your phone calls and your financial support for this program at 1-866-888-6785, or you can visit mennonitechurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Please know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living.